0: Acts chapter 2 can be found on page 830, and we're starting at verse 1 of chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you so much, Leisha. You did uh, real well with all those fancy names too. (laughs) Well, it is uh, time for us to look at our second talk in the series of Acts, Launching the Church, and the topic today is Launch Day. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit so that we might know you and we pray that as we read and study your word that he has given for us, that we would know you and ourselves so much better and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what has been, the, what are the biggest days of your life? Uh, maybe it was the day that you got married, had your first child or finished school, or got your driver's license, or selected for a team, or bought your first home, or got your first job, or retired from work, or whatever it is, I wonder what your big day may have been, or your big days in your life may have been. For many of us, it was the day when we became a Christian, or maybe made the decision to own the faith that we'd inherited growing up in a Christian home. From an eternal perspective, this day of conversion is undoubtedly the biggest day of our life. Bigger than all those other things that I mentioned in that list. But I wonder if if you've actually thought about what are the biggest days in the life of the Christian church. I reckon if we sat down and brainstormed it for a little while, I think we'd have to include the day that the Lord promised to Abram that he'd make his descendants into a great nation. In a sense, that was sort of the beginning of the people of God. I mean, we'd have to say, when, when God promised to David that one of his descendants would be king forever, I, I think that's a very important part of the history of the church. But then when Jesus came and he did his ministry and he said, I will build my church, that's an absolute red-letter day in the whole history of the church And that first Easter, of course, when Jesus stood there and was hanging there and he said, it is finished. We know that from that moment, it meant that we could be part of the church, not on our own merit, but all because of what Jesus had done for us, dying and rising from the dead. But there's another big, big day in the life of the church that I think we've got to include in this fairly short but significant list. And that is the big day... That is known as the day of Pentecost. And it's the day that we are going to look at today in the book of Acts chapter 2. You see, the church of Jesus, we've got this series called Launching the Church. I don't want you to think that it's like the church just started with the book of Acts. Because like I said, it started way, way back with Abraham or even before that. But there's a real point where all that was leading up to this point would happened with the sort of ignition, blast off, all happened around this time of Jesus, and in a sense, the day of Pentecost is is like when the rocket takes off almost. Because, you see, Pentecost was a very big day for the church. Pentecost was a very big day for the church. And that day has shaped the church to this very day. See, we read in chapter 2, verse 1, that on the day of the Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. It was a special day in the life of the people of God, the, the festival of Passover is not actually a New Testament thing. It, it's an Old Testament thing that the Old Testament people of God were doing. Pente, like a, you might think of a pentagram which has five sides. Uh, it's co- Cost is about actually 50 days after Passover. That's what Pentecost means. And it was a special day for God's people because it celebrated harvest time. But it also celebrated the time when the law was given at Mount Sinai. So it was a pretty important day in the life of the first uh, people of God. So they're all there together. All the believers were meeting together on the day of Pentecost. Perhaps they were in the upper room where they were praying, but I suspect maybe they were probably around the temple somewhere. And suddenly we read, verse 2, There was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, And it filled the house where they were sitting. So they're there. They're they're in this house before they go to the temple. And it's like there's this roaring of the noise. And I wonder if it was a bit like the roar of the noise that happened when the tornado cut through Jamboree back in February 2013. I was told that it sounded like a 747 was landing in Tate Place in the middle of the night. Imagine if that was what it was like for them as they were there praying and suddenly this huge noise came of wind. You see, the believers were told by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem till they'd received the gift of the Holy Spirit within a few days and the wind blows in. But that's not all, those three. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Uh, little tongues of fire came down upon each of the believers. I don't know what that really must have looked like. I imagine it perhaps is a bit like when you have a, an ember attack when there's a, there's a fire and, and all the little leaves are caught on fire as well and the wind's blowing. Them. Is, is it something like that? I don't know what it looks like. It's mean, descri- described there. But whatever they are, these little tongues of fire are coming down upon each of the believers. And they were tongues. Now What do you need a tongue for? The thing that we have that is so amazing about our tongue is that it enables us to speak. And that's exactly what happened next. Verse 4, everyone was present, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, other tongues, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. See, all the believers in Jesus were now filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, the Holy Spirit led them to speak. The Spirit comes, the tongues come, and what do they do? They start speaking in tongues, in different languages, other languages. You see, the Lord filled these believers with his Holy Spirit, his holy breath, and immediately they started speaking in all these different languages. And it was at a very strategic moment. See, verse 5, we read that at that time there were devout Jews from every nation, Jews from all around the world were living there in Jerusalem and when they heard this loud noise, this 747 jet landing in Jerusalem, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. You know the wind is crazy enough but then there's all this babbling, all this, this speaking in tongues, this speaking in languages and What is amazing is that all these people who speak different languages have gathered together and they can hear people speaking in their own voice. If you've ever traveled to a part of the world where English is not the main language, uh, like New Zealand or somewhere like that, um, uh, no, uh, the Middle East, then you'll know how much joy it brings when you hear someone say something in your own language, in your own accent. Uh, when Mandy and I travelled last year overseas, uh, we visited Joe from CMS, who we've heard about tonight. And as we went to visit her, we, we'd been dealing with all of the officials in the airport. You know, you had to go there and get your passport stamped and pay for a visa and all, in a different currency that you didn't have and all this sort of stuff. And, and there's some people who... a lot of people speaking in different languages around me, mainly, mainly Arabic... And then a few people who were having a go at speaking English and doing a fairly good job of it as we got my things stamped and all of that. And then we went through down the elevator and there was Joe, And she's speaking to us in English, in Australian English. And it was awesome. It was a, just a, such a weird experience to have one speaking in your own language, in your own dialect, in your own accent. It is a real gift when you hear words in your own language. That is a great gift. And that is the gift that God gave as he gave his Holy Spirit. Because his Holy Spirit brought tongues, breath, that made languages that everybody present were able to understand in their own language, in their own way. And this is what happened in such a large scale there. 50 days after the first Easter, we read in verse 7 and 8, (coughs) they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. You know, what good can come from Galilee? They're a bit slow up there. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages, our own accents, our own tongues. We're hearing them speaking in our own native tongues. It must have been amazing to be able to hear their own people's voice. Amongst these, you know, back of nowhere, out back Galileans. And describes all the different people that are represented there. Here they are. We've already heard. Alicia, uh, Le- do you want to get up and say them again? No, no, it's all right. I'll say them for you. I'll have a go. The Parthians means Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, areas of Libya, around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, basically grab a map and just stick random dots everywhere and you can be pretty sure that there's somebody from one of those dots right there in Jerusalem, all speaking different languages, all with different dialects and different accents and all of them are there and they're saying, we can all hear about the wonderful things God has done. What a blessing it is to hear the gospel in your own language. See, as we we visited Joe over in the Middle East, we were sort of stumbling around what to do, and the colleagues and my good friends that we were traveling with, they wanted to get a, a SIM card there in the airport. And they were pretty clueless, didn't really know what to do. And there's Joe interpreting like saying oh yeah can I have a sim card uh, yeah just a just a one month sim card will be fine yeah will it fit that phone yeah kind of I oh, shoot that's what she's saying she could have been saying I'm standing here with these crazy people from Australia they're clueless but let's just look like we know what we're doing and we have a little laugh I had no idea what she was saying but they got a sim card and they plugged it in the phone and then here we were in the Middle East and their phone worked I mean it's a remarkable thing when you hear languages that are so diverse But then you get to hear it in your own tongue. And that is what happened here. They could hear this good news. See, there's a blessing when you get to, uh, to be able to communicate in your own tongue with other people. But likewise, there's a curse when you don't know what's happening. You see, in Genesis chapter 11, right near the start of the Bible, in fact, the chapter just before Abraham is given his is called and he's given his, his um, promises and everything like that. There's an event that we've spoken of before and it's the Tower of Babel. See, all the people of the earth thought, hey, we're pretty good. Look at us. We're great. We'll make this big tower into the heavens and we will say we are as good as God. We don't need God to come down here and help us up to heaven. We'll make our own stairway up to heaven. We'll make our own tower up to heaven. We are self-sufficient. We can get rid of God. And God says, Ah, no, that's not going to happen. And just to stop you coming up with such stupid ideas, I'm going to make it harder for you to conspire against me and I'm going to spin you off in all different directions with different languages. Suddenly, all those languages came in. It was a curse. It was a curse to have all those different languages. But now at Pentecost, we have a blessing. It's almost like it's the reversing of the curse of Babel. Pentecost reversed the curse of Babel. Doesn't matter what language they spoke, what their dialect was, what their accent was, now they were able to hear the great news about Jesus in their own mother tongue. And that is the blessing of Pentecost right there. But as they heard all this, there were two different reactions verses 12 and 13. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Some were blown away and realised that this is a very significant moment in history. This is not just your everyday trip to Jerusalem and a bit of a noisy wind. This is an extraordinary event in the history of humankind. But others thought these guys were just drunk. The hearers were divided. They were divided in their response to hearing the word of God in their own language. God does such amazing things in their midst and a bunch of them just basically rubbish it. You think, how could that be possible? How could you be there at that most remarkable moment of the revelation of God, the very day of Pentecost, And just say, ah, they've just been out in the turps from the night before. I mean, how could you possibly have that reaction? It's what happens today when people hear the gospel loudly and clearly. You say, it's very, very clear it's not rocket science. I know they've got a picture of a rocket up there, but it's not rocket science. you just got to trust in Jesus and you will be saved. And why don't people say, awesome, where do I sign? A whole bunch of people say, you are idiots and I hate you. This is what happens. But what happens at that point after they've been accused of being drunks? Well, Peter the Apostle, one of the twelve, stands up and he has a pretty convincing rebuttal. He says to them, verse 14, he he steps forward with the eleven other apostles. There's the twelve, the whole team, the league, the legions are all there. And they shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. And they probably go, yeah, fair enough. If it was in Australia, they'd say, huh? (laughs) So? (laughs) Oh, dear, oh, dear. But he does make a good point. He's saying it's not about alcohol, as some of you are joking or or having such a a, a, a way of, of trying to bring down the seriousness of this message. Not at all. He says... What they are experiencing at this day is what they should have been waiting for. And so he reads to them, he says, no, what you see now was predicted a long time ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, and he's quoting from the prophet Joel from the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. His defense... Number one is, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, but far better than that. He says, listen, you guys are Jews. You are not random barbarians. You are people of the book. You're here in Jerusalem because you're hanging out at the temple. You're doing the Jewish kind of thing. In the Bible, it says that today's events are going to happen. It was promised by the, by the, the, um, the prophet Joel It was promised that God would pour out his spirit. And that promise way back then has happened right now. And the promise is that the spirit would pour out and lots of people would speak the word of God. That's what prophesying means. See, we we often think today that a prophet is someone who can can talk about what is going to happen in the future. Uh, Basically like a, a fortune teller. We think prophet equals fortune teller. Yeah, not really. A, a prophet is someone who speaks the word of God. That's how it happened in the Old Testament, that the spirit would come down upon the prophet and the prophet would say, thus says the Lord or the Lord says. And then the spirit comes down in the New Testament in all believers and all believers can say, this is what the Lord says. This is what prophesying is. It's interesting that, uh, that even though the Bible is written in two and a bit the languages, but the, the, nearly all of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and all of the New Testament is written in the word, in the Greek language, right? Praise God that we've got smart people who can get it into English for us, I've uh, got to say. But there is a particular word that we translate as spirit. Anyway, this word spirit in both the Hebrew and the Greek can also be translated as breath. Interesting, isn't it? So anytime you see the word Holy Spirit, you could actually say holy breath, ruach or pneuma, like pneumatic drill or, or pneumatic tyres, the, the breath, the, the wind is in them, okay? Now why am I saying this? It's because when the breath comes, the holy breath, it gives them the breath to speak. That's the connection, that is what the word That's what the the Holy Spirit does. He makes it possible so that we might speak the word of God right there. So that happens. But not just that. A whole lot of kind of epic, supernatural, Hollywood sort of stuff as well. Blood and fire and smoke and eclipses of the suns and moon. That's what happened when Jesus died, isn't it? The sun suddenly went dark, whether it was an eclipse or whatever it is that God in order to make that happen. It it must have been spooky at that point because all these dramatic things happened. And all of that will happen in the lead up to the day that the Lord arrives. And above all, verse 21, it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Forget the fancy supernatural fireworks. The greatest thing is is you call on the name of the Lord. You say, Jesus, save me you will be saved. It seems too simple. But it is simple. I mean, it's a big request to actually throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. But at this point, from the point here in Pentecost, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's an amazing thing. And so now, in what is possibly the greatest sermon ever preached, other than the ones that Jesus did. Peter, right there, (coughs) excuse me, right there, starts this remarkable speech to the people. Gathered there, thousands of them. And he says, verse 22, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. Have you joined the dots, he's saying? This is what we heard would happen by the prophet Joel. It's happened. Tick. And, and this is exactly why it is that there were all of these miracles and wonders and signs. See, God used these signs of wonders to endorse his son. So that when Jesus got up there and said these amazing things about the kingdom of God, and he walked on water, and he healed people, and he brought people back from the dead and all these things, it wasn't just so that he could do these party tricks or or be liked by lots of of people. It was so that it would be very clear that he was the son of God. And you'd think that if there was this guy who did these amazing, wonderful things that he would heal the sick, that he would raise the dead, that everyone would love him, surely. Surely. You know what? You'd think you'd be able to sell tickets and fill a stadium. Come and see Jesus, 500 bucks each. And if you're lucky, you'll be able to touch him and get healed of any sickness you have. You'd think everyone would love him. But no. Verse 23 But God knew what would happen, and his pre arranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. as Judas again, hey? With the help of lawless Gentiles. You Israelites, the ones sitting in the pews in his sermon, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Peter's a gutsy guy. He's not trying to win them over with a funny story about New Zealanders or something like that. He's actually saying, I'm telling you, you are guilty of killing Jesus. It's a way to maintain rapport, I think, with his audience, perhaps. It's extraordinary. He says, you are guilty, you, with the help of lawless Gentiles, nailed him to a cross and killed him. He's very clear about their blame. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because in all of this, we read about how it is, it says, verse 23, God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out. And yet at the same time, he can say that they were guilty, that you nailed him to a cross and killed him. And we have trouble with this sometimes. Our, our brains are just too small. But God's is big enough for this because he maintains his sovereignty and our responsibility. In other words, I'll strip those big words and make down and make them a bit smaller. He basically says at the same time, he can be in control of absolutely everything. And at the same time, we are guilty of the choices we knowingly make. Both of those are fully true. We say, hang on a second, doesn't that mean that one is diminished from the other, that either God's not fully sovereign or that we're not fully responsible? It's like, nah, God doesn't have any problem with that. His prearranged plan happened and they are guilty and they know it. But the story didn't end there. Verse 24, God released him, Jesus, from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. It's a terrific little summary of Easter, isn't it? I I think I probably glossed over this bit of the uh, the second chapter of Acts in the past. It's a terrific way to describe it, isn't it? The resurrection. God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. Uh, It reminds me of that song that we used to sing a long time ago, Blessing and Honour. Death could not hold him down for he is risen. It's a great line, isn't it? It's very similar to this line from the Scriptures. But he's talking about him, the grips of keeping him in his grip. It reminds me almost like a vicious dog that comes and attacks you and, and, and it's the teeth dig into your calves and, they're and you just will not let go. It's like, get that dog off me. It's like death has gone up to Jesus And sunk its teeth into him. But it was not able to hold on to him. Because God the Father says, Dog, death, get off. My son is released from your grip, because you, with your mighty teeth, cannot hold on to the Son of God. And so he was released. Death could not hold on to Jesus, not a chance. And really, none of this should have come as a surprise to anyone. Because not only did they have Joel in the Old Testament, they also had 150 little songs, the Psalms. And the Psalms are littered, scattered, filled to the brim with talk about Jesus. We, we read, and, and, I, and I kind of wonder how it is that Peter is able so quickly to get the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament as it's being written. But obviously he's a man who knew his Bible well, and so he talks about Psalm 16. He says, verse 25, Excuse me. King David said this about Jesus. He says, quote, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises, for my body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Now, why would, why would Peter want to quote Psalm 16 right at this point here? Because it's a Psalm of David. Uh, David wrote it, you know, David, the guy who was the father of Solomon, you know, that, that King, King David, right? What's he got to do with Jesus? What on earth? Well, you see, David was the Messiah. David was the Christ. I don't know if you thought about him that way. David Christ, Solomon Christ, Josiah Christ. You see, anyone who was anointed was a Christ. Anyone who was anointed was a Messiah. The word Christ is the Greek version, Messiah is the, the Hebrew version from the Old Testament. And so there were lots and lots of messiahs. But obviously there's a the most special one, isn't there? Jesus, who is the capital T, capital H, capital E, messiah. And so David, he is talking as the Lord's messiah about what is true for him. But there's something weird about this. Because he says, You will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave how can David say that Uh, because when I was over in Jerusalem you can go to the tomb of King David Now, whether it's exactly there or not but they were pretty happy to say he died and his bones are there and so why would David say this doesn't make any sense and that's the point that Peter picks up he says verse 29 dear brothers think about this you can be sure the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself For he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. So if he's not talking about himself, the Christ, then what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, of course, isn't he? And so, verse 30, David says, But David was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future And speaking of the Messiah's, the Christ's resurrection, he was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. The whole idea of the Christ being raised from the dead is an Old Testament idea. Any Jew who knows their Bible says, oh, this whole thing of Jesus being the Messiah and rising from the dead, that's just not consistent with our faith. It's like, mate, Sit down, have a look at Psalms, have a look at Joel, have a look at a whole bunch of places, Isaiah 53. This is, if it was any clearer, it would bite you. You know, it's right there. And this is what Peter is saying as he gets up there to preach at the greatest sermon of all time. But I was reflecting on this this week. And that is that right here, the Apostle Peter gives us a very important way of understanding the Psalms. See, so I, I love reading the Psalms. My, my Bible reading pattern that I have each day is to read a couple of Psalms and then a bit from the Old Testament and then a, a one of the New Testament letters and then, uh, or, you know, bits of it, not a whole letter, but a bit of the Old Testament, New Testament, and then also one of the Gospels. I'm reading Psalms all the time. It's very tempting to, to read the Psalm and then say it's talking directly about Jody, directly about me. But it's actually not. It's talking primarily about God's king. Psalms are primarily about God's king. And I think we get this clearly modeled as, as Peter, the apostle, talks about what David was doing with this psalm. See, this psalm was about the Messiah. Uh, in a sense, it was about David, but ultimately, it was about Jesus. And it's as we understand it as being about the Messiah, the Christ, the Jesus, the Christ, we can then relate it to us. And so when we read that God will not let his Holy One see decay, it's not primarily about Jody. It's primarily about Jesus. But because I am united with Christ by faith, because I am with Christ in Christ. It means that because he has not seen decay and he's not in the ground anymore, he has risen, that's where I fit in. And that's where you fit in if you trust in Jesus as well. That's the connection. And when you read the Psalms this way, there's a freshness to them and there's there's an authenticity, I think, as a document that is for New Testament readers as much as old. And now Peter continues about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead where he says, verse 32, God raised him from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. You see, the resurrection was a real supernatural event. This is very important to understand this. And there is no way we can just see it as a spiritual, a mere spiritual thing. It's it's a physical, real thing. And Jesus, because he's been raised from the dead, continues to be in human form. Do you realise that? Jesus is still a human right now. He's one of us. And so we read verse 33 that he is exalted to the place of highest honour in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. He is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father as a human on our side, bringing our prayers to the Father. And now, as the one who is alive, Jesus has poured out the Spirit the Father gave him to us. There's a Trinitarian thing. All three of them are in here together. And we see this in another Psalm, Psalm 110, where it's quoted here from verse 34 and verse 35. David himself never ascended into heaven, of course, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honour at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. And then he quotes here, With this quote, Peter says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. That's his sermon. Jesus is Messiah. And Jesus rose from the dead. And you killed him. But death could not hold him down. How do they respond? Verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles brothers what should we do this wasn't just like a whole lot of people sitting down and marking a public talk you know like it's some sort of debate like oh good talk yeah nice presentation it's like they were shocked with this news cut to the very heart and say we're going to do something about this and they say brothers What do we do about this? What are we going to do? So these hearers had to respond. See, how many times have you heard that Jesus died for your sins? How many times have you heard that if you trust in Jesus, you will have certainty for eternity? I tell you what, people in this room, you guys have heard this so many times. And I trust that most of us have heard that and said, I've done it. I've trusted in Jesus. I have certainty for eternity. I know that is true. But i tell you what, there are some people who hear this message and have heard it over and over again and have never actually said, I've got to do something about it. I'm not just going to turn up to church. I'm not just going to hear it in school scripture. I'm not just going to read about it somewhere on the internet and say, oh, there's this nice stuff about God, Jesus and the Bible. I'm actually going to commit. That's the the very way in which they have responded to this message. And I wonder if there's anyone even here tonight who has heard that Jesus is the Messiah, that if you believe on him, him, you will be saved. You've heard it and you've heard it and you've heard it. Maybe tonight the Spirit of God is cutting through your heart and saying to you, I've got to believe this for myself. And I'm praying that, that if that is for you tonight, that this might be the night the big day in your life when you look back and say, I remember way back in 2019 when we heard this talk from from Acts chapter 2 about Jesus as Messiah and I was cut to the heart. Because if that is you, then I want to say to you tonight, trust in the Lord Jesus and be saved. This is how Peter replied to them. He said to them, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and this promise is to you, to your children and to those far away all who have been called by the Lord our God. Bottom line is this they needed to say I am stopping going that way and I'm going to go following Jesus. That's what it means to repent and to repent of their sins and turn to Christ. And then he ends by saying save yourselves from this crooked generation he was strong he kept talking a lot longer but he said strongly urging them save yourselves how can they save themselves it's by calling on the name of the lord jesus and saying jesus will you save me and what happened verse 41 those who believe what peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about three thousand in all See, only last week we heard that there are 120 people there gathered in the house. That's the Christian church, all together in the one spot. And now there are 3,000 people who have all heard this and said, I want to trust in it. Uh, Last year, uh, before Mandy and I went and visited Joe, we were over in Jerusalem. We were at the southern steps of the temple. And it seems very, very, very almost certain that that is the point where the Pentecost sermon was preached and it was goosebump stuff I can tell you and right there there were 2,000 of us gathered from all different languages and nations hearing the gospel but we were all believers but imagine even more people than that saying we want to believe and all around us there there were these, these special areas that you would go and get bathed, ritual baths before you went up and took your sacrifice to the temple. Well they gave them a new life didn't they because now, one by one, 3,000 people were dunked in the water and showed outwardly what God had done by the Holy Spirit as they believed in Jesus. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And as that happened there, we too long for thousands to know Jesus, don't we? What an amazing, amazing report back about Joe in the Middle East, that four Muslim women have come to know Jesus as Messiah. A costly decision. And I tell you what, that must just make our hearts beat an extra beat. A little bit faster, a little bit more excited. We long for thousands of all languages to know Jesus. This had an amazing effect on everything. And in particular, it had an amazing effect on the church. I don't have time to talk about it. I'm just going to read these last few verses. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in home for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Oh, we could spend a whole year looking at those verses. Take them at home and and, and sort of look at them again and chew them over. It's an amazing picture here of church at its best. That's what we see here. We see church at its very best as they were all so powerfully touched by the Holy Spirit. Look, the the day of Pentecost was a one-off, like the death of Jesus, like the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the day of Pentecost. We shouldn't expect Pentecost every single week or every single day. There's actually another three mini-Pentecosts that come after this, as we'll see in the book of Acts, but that's pretty much it. Pentecost was a one-off kickstart for the church. But in a sense, every time that we tell someone about Jesus, the Spirit of God is working to help us know Jesus. And that is what we see as the Holy Spirit's work. And that is what we are so thankful to God for in our lives and in the lives of his church. Let's pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, so much for that amazing day of Pentecost. We thank you, Father, that you gave your son Jesus the spirit to pour out upon your church. And we thank you that through this, We saw thousands become saved and today we also see people saved as they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And Father, tonight if this is the night when anyone in this room might feel like they themselves have been pierced by your word to to say for the first time that they repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. Father, would you save them, would you strengthen them Would you come to help them know the joy of being filled by your spirit and the hope that it brings? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love you to fill in a response slip to ask me any questions about the things that I didn't clarify or that gave you questions that you'd like to ask. You can ask them through the response slips or email them. And next week we see Talk 3, which is the launch of persecution from Acts chapters 3 and 4.